All right, uh, welcome back to the next instalment of the uh, the racing review show here. So we've got Kyle from Squad Run. Good week, Kyle. Very good week. Lots yeah. been happening. We'll uh, chat about some interesting races you've been doing, and I'm Tom from Wire Run. So it's been a couple of weeks. Uh, Goat Mania has come and gone, but uh, lots of interesting stuff is happening around Southeast Queensland, in particular the racing scene and some new sort of racing uh, that a lot of our listeners might not sort of have their head around, but we'll talk about that um pretty soon so Kyle just give us a bit of a rundown interesting week anything strange and different big training week have you up the mileage what's been happening no, I definitely haven't up the mileage um, I've been sitting at the same level I've been sitting at for months now so no training volume has not changed training intensity has definitely gone up this week wasn't the plan at the start of the week um, plan was just to have a pretty easy week and then it got to about I think it was Wednesday and I saw pop up on Facebook that the Queensland 10,000 metre championships were on at Runaway Bay. And I started to think whether there potentially might be a B or C race because I didn't think I would want to be in the A race and messaged them. And they said, yeah, there's going to be a B race. So I thought, why not? I've never raced on the track before. I've barely raced on the road before. So I thought I might jump in the Queensland 10,000 metre championships in the B race. So Thursday morning decided to enter myself in that. Gave myself two days, two days notice to jump into this race. So yeah, that happened last night. So obviously it was exciting just to have some actual racing back on for the actual Queensland Championships. Um, so the it was an afternoon race, which was also something a bit different for me. I don't know if I've ever raced in the afternoon, um, but it was actually really cool to be able to go down. And it was at Runaway Bay at the Super Center, the track. Um, and it was nice to be able to, you could literally pull up at the top of the car park, sit in the back of your car and just watch the track. So it was a bit different to most of the racing we're normally used to where you see everyone start and then you don't see them for another hour or two before you see anything, you're sitting around. So it was a really cool atmosphere actually. So we got to watch the female Queensland Championships run around first um, and that was quite exciting to watch we had Jen Lacars obviously most people probably know who who Jen is an Olympian for Australia running around in the 10k so obviously she was probably the big favorite going into it um but that was really cool to see you know the top female athletes in the state going around and having a battle on the track so I know you've got the results there if you want to go through how that female race finished well, before I go into that, if anyone hasn't had a chance to actually watch it, if you go onto Queensland Athletics on their Facebook site, they had the live feed up last night. So I believe the video will be up. It's it's a great chance for you to watch some some 10,000 metre running. And as I said, this is probably a field of running that most of our listeners probably haven't really explored in the past. Um, a few people have obviously run track when they're in high school, but it's kind of a different you know, sort of field of running that I think most of our listeners are into. They're sort of more into the trail running or maybe park running and that sort of thing. But what an exciting night it was. It was like the buzz of just being down there, watching some live racing, um, watching some track running. And I must have, like it's 25 laps. It's a, it's a monster of a race. It's the biggest race that you can do for a standard distance on the track. And 25 laps and this, the chills that I got when I heard the bell each time, because I was a track runner myself in high school. And when you hear that bell and it indicates one lap to go, it's, I don't know, there's something about that sound and, no matter how dead you are and how destroyed you are, you just still manage to lift. So, yeah, if you haven't had a chance to, to see the video in the last day, um, jump on the Queensland Athletics. Hopefully the video will still be there, but it's well worth having a look because there were some great fields, particularly the men's A division was stacked. But let's let's just go through the female uh, race to begin with. As we said, Genevieve Lacars, who a uh, local Queensland girl, I think she was southeast Queensland. I was told today by someone um, that I had lunch with that she was actually – tambourine based at one stage so i'm not sure how true that is but um but we'll take it we'll take it for the range up here um but i I think she was a john paul college uh, student in her day as well but yeah represented australia at the 3000 meter steeplechase i think at the olympics so in third place um was katinka von elsner uh wellstead she ran 34 44 in second place cara fee and ryan she ran 34 36 that was a great battle between the two of them they were yo-yoing most of the race um, and Genevieve Lacar, she ran 32.59. She was well ahead. Um, so the female race, yeah, she sort of went off at the start and it was sort of uncontested. But for the minor placings, that race between Kara um, and Katinka in third, that was that was pretty close. Second and third, they were yo-yoing through those middle kilometres and only eight seconds to finish between the two. So, yeah, the female race, 
a bit of a solo event for Genevieve, but certainly for the minor place, it was really close. You got some info for me, Kyle? Is she national champion or is she national record holder? She, I think she's national champion. So Benita Willis still has the, well, it was Benita Johnson at the time. She's run 30-37, so that's the Australian record. Yeah, so national champion. Um, And then, of course, yeah, we went to, well, before that, we had the, what they call the non-championship, the run club uh, race. And a good friend of ours, um, Luke Killer Kilborn, he entered that one. I think he entered the wrong race. So Luke, yeah, was, I don't think it was intentional, but he did end up in the non-championship run club race. But he got to have a run around anyway. I think he won by about seven minutes or something. Like he just he just killed him. <laughs> so uh, so he took out that one. But then you had the uh, the female race, and then they did the men's A race afterwards. And I've, I mean, we'll talk a bit about it in a second. But that finish from Ryan Gregson in that last four hundred meters was incredible. It was great to see, like stacked field. Um, there must have been. 25 men in that yep. race, probably, for pre-full contingent. Um, really good runners with very good pedigree. Some people who've, who've you know, raced nationally around Australia and obviously Ryan and a few others who've raced internationally. Great to see some triathletes in there. Matt Howes was in there amongst other people. Um, trail runners, you know, in the other races as well, but it was really a triathlete versus uh, road runner versus track runner sort of day as well. So uh, the three places, uh, Tim Vincent came third in 29-27, I think. Louis McAfee, second, 29-26. Ryan Gregson, 29-19. Um, so they were very, very close. It was They were pretty much all together with 400 metres to go. And when that bell went, the kick that Ryan Gregson did, and if anyone doesn't know, he's 1,500 metre runner, Ryan Gregson. So everyone knew he was going to kick, but at the end of 10,000 metres, for him still to have the legs to be able to do that, he ran what? What did he have? 52, 53 He seconds? ran a 52 second or 52 and a bit second last 400. So for anyone that obviously doesn't run track a lot, if you ever go to a track, try and run 400 as fast as you can and yeah. you'll appreciate how fast 52 seconds is for 400. And then think about doing that after you've already run 9.6Ks at under three-minute pace. So it was Jordan. very impressive to watch. I mean, and like he ended up winning by, what, six, seven or eight seconds, but he put that gap into those two other boys in the first 200 of that last lap. Like he, he, he broke them by, you know, five or six seconds in half a lap. It was extraordinary. And to see, I don't know, for me, just to see the output of power that he generated, um, he ran very, very controlled for 24 laps. And then the last lap, it was just like, he just gave it absolutely everything. His arms were flailing, his legs were pumping hard. It was great to see so much effort put into that very last lap. And yeah, just a wonderful demonstration of, tactical track running um i think louis took the lead at one particular stage you know matt hauser was up there tim vincent was around there um and then ryan sort of just sat just bided his time and just knew that if he was there i guess he would be able to outkick these boys because he's got the you know the 1500 meter speed and it's it's hard to hard to hold off a 1500 meter runner at the back end like that so kyle you raced in the b race um as I you said, I'd, before we go into anything here i'd be interested to know because you said this is your first track race and really your first 10,000 metre or 10 kilometre race. What did you learn or what did you love about racing on the track for the very first time? Well, I think first of all with it, I'd probably say to people, I think a lot of people get quite nervous about ever going and racing on the track, thinking it's, oh, no, that's only for you know the really elite people. I'm not going to run on the track. I'll stick to my normal races. But the whole mood of the event was quite welcoming and there was no – there was no feeling of, oh, it's all about the fast people, not everyone else that was there as well. So initially when I kind of entered, I was like, oh, this is something a bit new for me, never having raced in this environment with these kind of people. But now having had that experience, I'd, I'd definitely go back again and I'd probably recommend it to a lot of people that when these events pop up, there normally is a B or a C race or even less or just like there was on Saturday, a more social 10K run club race at the start that you can jump on because it's something that's really different running on the track to generally running around on the roads. And it's something until you kind of experience it and race in that environment, you don't really know what it's like. Um, so I'd probably encourage everyone if they ever get the opportunity to race on a track to take it because you'll learn quite a lot from it. So I think for me, like you said, I've never really done much road racing. That was the first time I've ever raced 10 kilometers straight. I've never raced a 10 K before. Um, so going into it, obviously I've watched a lot of track running. The idea was going, okay, if I can sit in behind a group, and just draft off the back of a few people, I know that was going to make a difference, especially because there was a bit of wind going down the back straight. So I was, I thought if I could tuck in behind a few people, that would be ideal. But, again, I didn't know how fast people were going to go out or anything like that. Um, 
So I think for me, drafting is a good thing. I think that was probably the biggest takeaway that it's a lot more tactical running on the track than it is obviously than trail running. It's going to be very different. Um, you've got to watch what everyone else is doing. It's not just about your running. It was probably the biggest thing because I was generally watching what everyone else was doing as well as obviously watching what time I was running, making sure I wasn't doing anything too silly. Um, it was kind of fun. Like it was almost a bit more of a game and tactical versus just go out there and run as hard as you can. Um, but we kind of started off and there was a decent pack. I jumped on the back of just a couple of guys um, and I ended up sitting behind the both of them for the first probably five Ks. Um, and the first few Ks probably ticked over pretty quickly. It didn't feel like it was – I felt like I was at 10K pace. I, I knew I was moving pretty well, but I didn't feel like I was going to blow up at five or six K. So I think we went through – because I'd said obviously on last week's podcast or whenever it was after I did the 5K that I'd like to try and break 33 minutes. Mm. So I knew roughly what lap splits I needed to hit. And we went through halfway in 16.29, which is obviously 32.58 pace. So I thought, okay, I thought I was probably going to go through a little bit quicker than that. So I knew it was really close. So I knew I was going to have to hold on. And at that point, you're probably starting to go, I'm working pretty hard. I'm only halfway. I've still got five Ks to go. Still 12 and a half laps of the track. I'm just going to hang on here. And that's when one of the two in front of me dropped away. So I jumped in front of him and just sat in behind the other guy who I was racing against, um, Nathan, and I sat behind him for probably another, I don't know, two Ks. And then with about two and a half Ks to go, I went in front of him and then I was like, okay, I've got to run six laps here by myself. And it was amazing. Before you go on, I want to ask a question about that move. So was that move something that you, did you sense that he wasn't, that he was tiring or did you, did you think I'm feeling okay? So I'm actually going to tactically get in front of him. Like, because he, he like for the next two kilometers, he didn't give up the game. There, he was only thirty or forty meters behind you. He didn't really drop off too far. So I'd be interested to know what that decision came in. Why did you decide to, to go around him at that stage when he done he dragged you through for so long? Well, I think part of it was I feel like I should probably do some work here. I feel like I've spent yeah. off the back of these guys the whole time. I feel like I should jump in front. Um, but because the pace hadn't really slowed too much, like we might have dropped a second for that lap. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to get in front and kind of just keep pushing it along so that we don't start to drop back, you know, another second that lap and then another second a lap after us just so we keep the pace pushing. So I kind of jumped in front and I knew that he'd pretty much hung on. But at that point, I'd kind of made the decision that I was going to keep pushing at that point. I didn't think I was going to speed up too much, but I think I probably dropped maybe two or three seconds the lap that I made that move. I went a little bit quicker. Um and then it was just going to be hang on because I want to try and run under 33. Um, but like I was going to say, it was amazing the difference running behind someone versus not running behind someone. The difference I noticed in the wind when I ran down that back straight, it was like the wind yeah. had picked up 20Ks an hour that next lap that I came around in the front. Um, so I couldn't really believe because he was obviously a little bit smaller than me how much of a difference even being behind one person made coming down that back straight into the wind. And then I knew I hit, I think, 1k to go and i think i had to run 318 or 319 for the last k to dip under 33 and that was the point where i was starting to hurt but i was like okay i'm two and a half laps to go i've just got to tick off this next couple of minutes and i'm done and then i think i got to 400 to go and you were standing near the finish line i think you yelled out i needed to run i think it was a minute 120 and i had 120 to get under 33 for that last lap so that was when I was kind of going, okay, I just got to give everything here and hang on. Um, and I managed to run the last, well, I ended up running 20, 32.56. So I think yeah. I was around 116 for the last lap. So I was very happy to to sneak under 33 for that, for my first 10K anyway. So it was yeah, a it was successful a night on the track. One one other thing I'd be interested to know as well, how did you find bend running? Because for those who are track runners, you you know how difficult running a bend actually is and you know there's tactics when it comes to where you overtake. Like, you know, theoretically you should never really overtake on a bend. You should do it down the straight. So I'd be interested to know how you found running 50 bends because it's, it is different running that curve as opposed to running the straight. Well, I'm lucky that the one other time I actually have run on the track was when I did that 50K and did 125 laps. So I had 250 bends to practice that day. So I'm sure I had plenty of practice running around the bend. Um, but no, that, I didn't find that too bad, especially when you're tucked in behind people. And both the moves I did make when I passed in front of those two were on the straights. The other thing was there was people that we were lapping within the race as well. So a lot of those, you'd kind of come up to them on the bends and we had to make the pass on the bend. So we probably passed over the course of the race, I probably had to make maybe five or six passes on the bend, which you know you're running wide on the bend. You're going to run a lot more distance than you probably have to, um, but you kind of had to just do it. So I didn't 
I didn't find that too bad. That was actually okay. But overall, I think it was a really cool experience to do something different like that. Um, it was something I probably wouldn't have done previously. And I'm kind of glad I just made that decision to jump in and, and have a run, which was really good. So successful night all around. All right. So um, it was great to see as well on, on Facebook today and on social media, a lot of coaches on the Gold Coast who whose athletes maybe aren't, you know, regular track runners who have encouraged, who were out there last night looking around, who've encouraged their runners, you know, while there isn't regular triathlons on at the moment, or it's not regular other races that they're used to, to get out there and have a bit of a go at these. So there's another couple of races coming up in the next few months, which, you know, as you said, Kyle, you had such a, a fun time last night and such an enjoyable time doing something different. And I think that every single runner should be jumping on these opportunities that we can. And the fact that they have a run club, you know, race for those people who don't want to be in the A and B division, who just want to go along and try it, which is, it, it's almost like a park run race, you know, that, that, that run club one. So, uh, there's two more events coming up. So on September the 5th, uh, the Queensland Cross Country Championships are at Limestone Park. That is from kids right through to Masters. Um, if you jump on Queensland Athletics website and have a look at that, you'll see the race times, you know, varying distances. Um, cross Country is normally written in the thousands of metres, so some of the races are 4,000 metres, some are 6,000, some are 8,000. If I put my rose-tinted glasses on, Kyle, Limestone Park is an old haunting ground of mine and one where I've had a great race. And all I can tell you about that place is that it rolls. It's up at, I can't think of one bit of flat land unless they've changed the start finish, but you need to be able to run some good rolling hills there. So that should be great. September the 5th, Limestone Park. Um, and then last year they had the Benita Willis Shield, the 5,000 metre, which was in November. It hasn't been announced this year, but keep an eye out for it. I'm definitely going to jump in that if it's on. Um, so, yeah, so, so that's through Q Run. It's a $12 membership to sign up for Q Run to enter these races for the year membership. Um, and that's for cross country and for the 5,000, but Kyle, an interesting shoe ruling last night and something that impacts the cross country runners as well. What do you, what do you, can yeah. you tell them? About that? So we got an email at eight o'clock on Friday night. So the night before this race was supposed to go ahead, which has stated that the world athletics, which is the old IAAF, um, have now made a ruling on the shoes. So everyone kind of heard about the rules that were made for the shoes around no more than a 40 mil stack height and only one carbon plate, which was around all the road shoes. But a ruling which was passed the 15th of July is that now on the track and cross country, you're not allowed to race with any shoes that have a heel stack height greater than 25 mils, which is pretty much most road shoes. Um, obviously, including the Nike Next Percent, um, which most people race in these days. Obviously, generally not for cross country, but for a lot of track races. So we this came out the night before the race, and everyone was kind of going, "Okay, what are we going to do?" Because most people were going to wear them. And what ended up happening at the race last night was that anyone who was in road shoes or you know illegal shoes, as they deemed, were going to run basically under the exhibition rule. So you're running as an exhibition versus. Uh, racing so that your time could qualify for something else. So they still let everyone run in whatever shoes they wanted to, but their times didn't count for qualification for anything further if that's what they were after. So interesting ruling that for them to drop on everyone the night before the race. Um, and when you look through the results, they actually have a little X next to every runner that was in next percent because that was obviously the shoes that they were keeping an eye out for. Yeah. And I'd say about two-thirds of runners last night were wearing them on the track. So most people have an X next to their name. Um, so but, if, yeah, that's interesting. If, you, if you're planning to go out to the Queensland Cross Country Championships at Limestone Park September 5th and use it as a world championship qualifier, those of us, those of us who aren't considering world championships or com games or Olympics or world cross country championships, race in whatever you want. But if you are considering to use this as a bit of a stepping stone, then maybe think about your shoes. But I think for most of us, Kyle, we're pretty safe. I think, I think, I think we will be. I don't think it's going to affect us at all. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's coming out. As I said, it's, it's a great, you know, Queensland Athletics put on some wonderful events. And at this particular time, um, we just got to jump in these. We've got to use them. You got to, you know, that, that session you did last night was better than any training session you could do. And, um, I'll be lining up for that cross country championships. I haven't decided whether I'm going to go in the open or the masters. I have to have a look at the age group categories. We'll see. Look at the distances. So, um, yeah. We'll see what happens. But um, let's move on. So was it last weekend, Kyle? Was BVRT last weekend or was it two weekends? BVRT was last weekend. Wow. It seems like such a long time ago already. But um, 
Yeah, BVRT was on last weekend and we talked a bit about it in the lead up. So we got some results to talk about here, but it turned out to be a hellish weekend, didn't it, for the runners? It's normally beautiful weather leading up to it, beautiful weather sense, but just for that weekend, they copped terrible conditions. It's normally freezing, it's normally cold, but it was um, it was rainy, it was drizzly, it was a bit windy. So um, we'll just go through the results here as well. But we've actually got a little um, interview we did in the middle of the week with Troy Lesling who came second in the miler in the 100 mile. So we'll, we're going to put that on just after these results as well. He gives us a bit of an insight into what the day was like, what the 100 mile race was like, um, what conditions were like, what his own training was. So um, thanks to Troy for giving us his time. But we'll just go through the results now, starting with the 50 mile, which 80-something kilometres, 84, 85? It ended up being, I think, 85. I think, obviously, 50 miles is just over 80, 80 kilometres, but it ended up being about 85 or 86 kilometres. So... Everyone got a few bonus cases. See, we jumped from the very, very finitely measured 400-metre track last night, 10,000 metres is 10,000, not a metre more, to a 50-mile race, which should be 80-ish, turning out to be 86. This is what we love and hate about trail running. But um, <laughs> here we go. So the female race. Uh, so Yolanda Williams in third, 9 hours 26. Shelley Coleman, um, who we all know, 9 hours and 2 minutes. And Beck uh, Phillip in 8 hours and 55 the first, second, and third there. Um, and in the men's race, turned out to be quite close. But there's a bit of a it story did, behind it? why it was quite close. Um, Paul Jackson, seven hours and ten minutes. David Vroom, seven hours and nine minutes. And um, everyone's favourite Brazilian, Anderson, seven hours and seven minutes. Now, he told us, didn't he, this week at the Wednesday Walkers, that he actually stopped for a pretty lengthy period of time because he didn't know which way to go and waited for second and waited for third to, to make sure he didn't go the wrong way. So, um, yeah. That's, and I think I that know. was like checkpoint two. So I think he'd run for, it would have been 30 or 40 kilometers. Like I don't think it was right near the start. I think they got lost right at the start as well, all of them. But, yeah, he kind of got to a spot, had no idea where to go and thought, well, I'm just going to wait for the next person. <laughs> I think they waited six or seven minutes for second place to catch him. And then they waited a few more minutes because then second place didn't know where to go either. They waited for third place to catch them, and then third place didn't know where to go. So they all said, well, we're not waiting for everyone. So eventually they found their way, and off he took again. But obviously it ended up being pretty close for the rest of the day as well. And I think um, he said on Wednesday as well that when he actually entered the finishing area at Ipswich Grammar, um, there'd been an electrical power failure. There'd been a cutout around the local district, so there was no actually lights. So he didn't actually know which way to go. (laughs) So... um, a couple of uh, his 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 crew um, his crewer Jack Gill actually had to run out didn't he with the headlamp and find him and bring him towards the finish line. <laughs> Which, considering how close you look at the time, second and third were right behind him. So if he got lost right at the end, he probably wouldn't have even won. So, so the the race director is Alan Davies is the race director. Um, so he you know big big kudos to Alan for putting on BVRT. You know, when, when none of the events looked like they were going to go ahead. And this has almost been the first thing that has been up, the first ultra that's been up. And I believe he was running out in a pretty, you know, skeleton group of volunteers and people helping him out. So, um, you know, to have a power failure in the local area right at the same time as you've put Not on the Not what you ultra. need. So, um, yeah, so that was the 50 miler. So the 100 mile, let's go through the female. So Cheryl Keenan, 21 hours. Catherine Austin, 20 hours, 55. Like, Five minutes apart over 100 miles, amazing. And um, Kath Judge came in at 19 hours and four minutes, so sub-20 for the female winner there, which is a great run. Um, the male race, Greg Ponch, 17 hours 42. Now, Greg's the first finisher, isn't he, of Run USA? He is, um, just the other weekend. Yep. So Greg backed up finishing Run USA. Uh, I think he ran a marathon, didn't he, to finish it a couple of weekends ago. Um, and has backed up there and come third in uh, the miler, 17 hours 42. As we said, Troy Lethleen, 17 hours and two minutes, and Nick Bamford, 16 hours 47, I think, was the finishing time. Have I got that right? I think it was 16 I it in front of me. I think it was right around that. He wasn't yes. too far ahead of Troy, but great. So pretty, Nick. pretty close again uh, between all three of them. As I said, Troy's going to – we'll put his interview in, in in a couple of minutes so you can have a bit of a listen to what he says about it. And then, oh, in the beast of the race, the 200-mile um, not many finishes, as you can imagine. <laughs> no surprises there. I'm surprised anyone even started, let alone they finished it. So, um, first female it was um, Susanna Harvey Jamison, 56 hours, 43 minutes. Oh, two a hours, long time to two be days, out there. 
two days and eight hours. So they started Friday morning, didn't they? So, they were, yep. so, that, so that, that's finishing after lunch on Sunday. My goodness. Oh, that's a long day. That's a long, <laughs> long few days. That's and, unbelievable. And then in the, in the male event, Neil McNeil, uh, 52 hours, 17 minutes, was beaten by Ryan Crawford, 48 hours and five minutes. Now, I think, obviously, as we said, Alan was working on a skeleton sort of volunteer group, so we couldn't put too much up on social media as it happened. But we got the update that Ryan had gone through the halfway mark, the 100 mile, in about 19 hours. Yeah. Um, so as I think maybe probably had a bit of a sleep, as you would imagine you have to. Um, I think looking at his Strava, there was like a two or three hour sort of sleep segment in the middle there. And has come home in 48 hours. So I mean, I've I've got no I I can't even analyze that, Kyle. I've got no idea what to what to say. Nope, no <laughs> idea. I've never run uh, for two days, so I have nothing to comment other than that's incredible. So yeah. good on everyone that even put their name down to start that race. That's it would be incredible. It'd be great to catch up with Ryan and Susanna, the male and female winner, and just I don't know, just pick their brain, just see what it's all about. Like, what is it for? <laughs> I know. I'd be very interested to see their motivation behind doing it because it seems crazy to me. And as we know now, uh, we know Ryan's Crawford's racing at uh, Blackall. That's been announced. He did an interview with the organisers for Blackall. But I think I saw his name linked to Brisbane Trail Ultra the other day as yep. well. Yeah, uh, Kieran, that should be. looking like it's yeah. going to be a good race. Yeah, with Kieran O'Brien's name linked to it. But Kieran did say he's not sure whether he's going to do the 110 kilometres or the 100-mile race. So... Yeah. Whatever they decided, it'd be great to see those two go head to head because you said Kieran was your standout last year. I think I said Ryan was my standout last year. So this could be the battle that we've been waiting for. Well, we've said that last year that these are the two we wanted to see battle. And I remember when I spoke to Kieran, he said, I'd love to race him at Brisbane Trail Ultra at that 100 mile race. So fingers so crossed, we might actually see the battle happen finally. We've just, been waiting for a year. Just well, but should, Do we set up a messenger group, just you and I and the two of them, and just say, I think we have to. Let's do it. Let's put it on. This is going um, <laughs> So we'll put in um, we'll put in Troy's interview right now. But just before I mention that, um, a race that I think would, I don't know, be of interest to the people who did the BVRT coming up soon is the last one standing, the Clint Eastwood on the 14th of August, starting at 1 a.m. in South Brisbane. So um, I imagine, I mean, I don't know how these people have pulled up after BVRT, but you'd imagine it's it's the same kind of type personality these the people, I think the, so. people, the people that do these races um so yeah so the last one standing is coming up um was this the one that Lazarus Lake was supposed to be coming out to well apparently I remember I remember them talking about it and this is why I feel like I'm gonna really like us talking about this race I'm pretty sure this was the first ever race we spoke about on the podcast episode one I'm pretty sure I can remember yep. we were sitting in Coomba I think this was the first race we ever spoke about so it's coming up on a year since we first yep. spoke about that race and it, I remember is, saying at the is, time yeah yeah, yeah. There you go. It is a year because August was the first edition we did of this last year. So yeah, I think it was the end right. of August sometime. So yeah. I remember it was the first race we spoke about. So we'll have to work out what date that was and then we can have a look at Yeah. What, you keep you keep going through. I want to see what date we, we released our first one. So as I said, yeah, so the Clint Eastwood's on fourteenth of uh, of August, um, South Brisbane. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, and we'll cover that obviously, but I'll just, uh, we'll just pass over now to the interview that we did with Troy Lethleen halfway through this week and get his thoughts on, um, the Brisbane Valley rail trail, hundred mile race. All right. Uh, so as we mentioned, um, we've got a bit of a guest with us here. So Troy Lethleen is the, uh, the star from BVRT, which happened only a couple of days ago, about a week ago or so. Um, and Troy was in the 100 miler. So, Troy, thanks very much for joining us on the uh, the racing review show. It's great to have um, you. Yeah, it's good to catch up. Um, and first of all, I think one thing I'd like to know, because I've never done a 100 miler myself, is how's the recovery been? What's what's the last few days been like? Um, yeah, like, to be honest, I've, I've pulled up pretty good. I think the first day or two I was limping around a little bit. Um but to be honest, for me, it's been the mental recovery. Like, honestly, I've just not wanted to run at all. So I decided to take the whole week off and maybe go for a jog this Sunday and just get back out there. But, yeah, just a couple of little, you know, little sore spots here and there. But realistically, um, uh, feeling feeling pretty good. Just don't feel like running. Simple as that. <laughs> well, I imagine that's, uh, that's, a, that's a pretty fair headspace to be in. Um and just before we actually go into the actual day and the weekend itself, because as everyone would remember, the conditions were pretty horrendous. But I'd just love to know, 
the reason for doing a hundred mile and the reason why you chose BVRT out of all the hundred miles that we have here um, in southeast Queensland and across the eastern seaboard of Australia. So what what drew you to BVRT in particular? Yeah, uh, probably the key thing was that uh, Western States was postponed from 2020 uh, 20 to 2021. Um, it was going to be late June and, um, you know, BVRT was probably the next 100 miler up this way on the radar. Um, and probably the fact that, yeah, it's close to home. Um, it's, it's relatively flat and it, it's sort of a kind of place where I could actually finish 100 miler and I decided to do it to change my preparation for uh, Western States. So instead of going into Western States being, you know, the one I wanted have this dream run at i thought the best thing to do is actually try and run 100 miles first and actually see if i can finish one um before you know making that decision to spend the thousands and take all that time to go to the u.s to to run in a tough event like that so uh that's why i signed up um yeah i just knew that this this time of year i love running in the cold actually in the cooler weather um so july queensland flat bvrp uh and also just knowing that you could have your mates there to crew you so knowing that yeah. there's a couple of guys available to um to be there for me to pace me and to crew me and to make sure i get to the end make sure i don't you know, didn't dnf yeah mm. i'd be interested and, and like, Troy, as well because yeah. sorry tom to cut you off i was yeah, just gonna tom. say before you kind of get into the day obviously i know i've seen you do a lot of ultras in the past what did you do different in the lead up to this because you had a really good block kind of training wise leading up to it was there anything you kind of purposefully did different leading into this one after the other 100 mile experiences or was it kind of just business as usual um look i I did a lot more road running i think a lot more um and early on probably early on in the training block focused on trying to become a more efficient runner so a lot more speed work um and then started to move really into making sure i did that consistent long run each week um at a, and at a fairly low heart rate, sort of slow pace. Um, but, um, yeah, and just built up. I think I, I think I started, you know, around that 30K mark, 35, 40, 45, 50, 55, 60, and that's where I sort of peaked out. Yeah. And then did a couple of tapering sort of long runs. So, yeah, the long run was the most important thing towards the end uh, and making sure I recovered each week from that because it, it really did take the sting out of the legs doing those 50, 60 kind of K runs. So that was probably the biggest change in my preparation. Yeah. And um, that as well. And um, you mentioned before about how you enjoy running in the cold. So everyone remembers BVRT not being very long ago at all. And it was definitely very different conditions from previous years, wasn't it? So give us a bit of a, a bit of a rundown, I guess, in those final couple of days beforehand when you could see that, that, that front coming in with all that rain, it must've, did it freak you out a bit to be thinking this is going to be hell? Like it's, it's going to be a full day of hell in that rain and the the wet. I I guess like I mean I, I have family up in Toowoomba or my wife's family's in Toowoomba and when it's raining on the coast here and pouring down and showering, it it's different to this kind of rain they get up there. You know, especially this time of year, so they get the drizzly, misty, cold rain. Um, so I wasn't that worried when I saw one to four mil or even five to ten mil um, on the rate on, on the um, uh, forecast for that area. I really thought that if anywhere we'd get the harder rain, the showers down towards Ipswich, and that's probably what we end up do, did getting. Like there was a lot more mud around the last twenty to thirty k out of Ipswich, but most of that you know morning and that I, I wasn't too concerned. I just had a few changes of clothes, um, had my jacket ready and. And I think that rain also stopped those minus temperatures dropping in. Like it really was kind of a warm start, like around that kind of, you know, eight to 10 degree start rather than a one to two degree start. So, um, yeah, I really sort of revel in those sort of conditions. So it was perfect for me. And, and what did you find the other runners were like around you? Were they handling the conditions okay or, or did it really play up on a lot of people to have it a bit yeah. wetter and a bit drizzlier? No, look, to be honest, the, the trail itself was really um, – uh, like it's a fairly solid trail. Like it, it was only only the mud towards the end where I think you just change the soil conditions and the type of material that they were using. You know, the trail itself was was fairly pristine most of the way. Just that last twenty thirty k's of of crazy mud, um, but it wasn't even deep mud. It was that kind of surface mud. You're slipping and sliding, but you weren't actually sinking. Um, so I actually think that most people cope with that morning 
quite well and it didn't get too hot um, didn't warm up too much so I think for most people it was pretty good and, and a lot of the results probably show that like there were so many people that got through that 100k in under 10 hours that first 100 so it was quite yeah. amazing to see how many you know were going along at a quite a good pace early on. I mean, you've been there in the past, haven't you, when you've crewed for a couple of people when you've been left standing in the freezing cold because people have DNF'd. And, Kyle, you and I talked about um, uh, Ryan Crawford being the favourite for the 200-miler. Of course, he goes on to win it. And you talked about how well he trained, but we said often at BVRT, it's it's the freezing cold weather that undoes so many people. So to have it a bit warmer, Troy, must have been, I guess, a bit of a, a blessing in disguise in some ways. Yeah, I mean, especially that last... Um few hours in the dark um i think i was still in a t-shirt with a pair of gloves on that's it like um you know plus the pack the pack kept me warm as well but uh shorts i didn't change any any of sort of the lower half of the um clothing throughout the day except some socks once but same shorts but um just changed my t-shirt a couple of times and um i think it's probably also that if you're still running uh, consistently after dark, you can still keep warm in those sort of conditions. So some might have got a little, little bit colder, but compared to last year, standing there for Benny and uh, having a fire going and just absolutely freezing and being rugged up, yeah, it was actually really good, I think, for me anyway and for most people that they could be running home in the dark, not feeling that cold. So yeah, it didn't sort of mess with your mind as much. Um so I'd probably be interested, Troy, because I, when I looked at the start list of this race, there was quite a few names that kind of stood out. A few of the boys from Brisbane that were coming down to run, you know, Dan Simmons, John Pearson, Ewan, who's won Blackhall when we raced, obviously, there as well. So there's a few names that straight away jump out as, you know, guys that are potentially going to go out pretty quick. How did that mm. first couple of hours unfold? Yeah, it, um, there was um, four of us pretty much running within, within sight of each other, like, I was in sort of third, fourth with um, running along with Nick. Uh, another guy, um, I think it was Travis, was it? Or uh, there was a couple of guys ahead of us uh, for a while, and we we're just chatting away for, for quite a bit, Nick and I. And um, uh, I think it was just through around about 65 k's where we, where people were kind of sort of grouped up a bit. But I did notice at 65 when I stopped at the checkpoint. Uh, I think John, Dan uh, came running through, even Kathy. Uh, Kathleen Jake came running through yep. and Jimmy um, Gold came running through there as well. So there's quite a few moving quite well, um, you know, right up to that 65K mark where I saw people. Uh, and in fact, right through to the 100. And, you know, I kind of yo-yoed a bit through the day. I, I didn't quite get my pacing quite right. So um, so people would pass me through checkpoints and then I'd pass them a few Ks out again. And uh, yeah, looking back at someone like um, Dan and uh, John, they re- seemed to run together the whole way. Um, and they just kept a very consistent pace. Like it was quite impressive to watch actually. Um, yeah, so early on. Did you on, take that into account early on though? Like was that part of your strategy going, I'm going to see what these guys do? Or did you kind of have your plan of how you were going to run the race? Uh, 100% for me it was about just my plan. I just wanted to try and run within my limits um, the whole day. Um you know, and just see what happened. Really, just see what happened from a stomach point of view. How the legs held held up, how the head held up, and all that kind of thing throughout the day. Um, yeah, I don't think I've ever really paced an ultra that well. I think I've always uh, gone through ups and downs. Um, so to see those guys just consistently tick over those Ks is quite amazing. Um, yeah, funny story with with you and actually, um, I was running along. Uh, just behind Kath a little bit and, and we could see this hill up ahead and I could see uh, Ewan's red pack going up this hill. And I, I thought, I think I said to Brad, I said, that's a serious hill. I didn't expect that for a train line. And then when we got closer to it, he was actually running up someone's driveway. And and he was like looking up at him and looking at us. And when we got to that little turning point, we just went, oh, yeah, he's gone the wrong way. So we yell, had to yell out to Ewan, and just telling him he was going the wrong way and he ended up turning around and coming running back down the, the drive. It was, yeah, it was quite, um, it's quite funny. He must have really not been – he must have been looking at the, the, the path because the turn was pretty obvious <laughs> when we got to it. <laughs> oh, we've all made those mistakes in races. We can't hold him to that. Yeah. And was there any points where you kind of felt 
were your toughest points? Like inevitably when you get into a hundred miles, there's going to be points that are going to be rough. Did you have any particularly hard areas or was it all, you know, okay all day? Yeah. Hard, hard points started at about 65. And I think, um, yeah, my longest training run was 60. So when I got to that checkpoint at about 65, I, I think it was partly mental. Like I, I kind of knew that things weren't going to be going great after that, but I didn't think it was going to be hitting me that hard. Um, yeah. So 65 through to about um, 100, really, I was struggling a bit. Yeah. And um, okay. And a lot of it could have been mental, maybe maybe a bit low on blood sugar. Um, and then it wasn't until 110 that I really started to mentally and physically start to push hard again. So I really had a fairly difficult time for about, you know, probably close to 45Ks really in the middle there. And I got some inside information, obviously, this morning, ran with Brad Coring, who paced you for about 75 Ks of the run. And he said, when you were running, how strong you were running towards the end. He was so impressed, that last section. He said the amount of times he looked down at his watch and thought, oh, Troy, we're going too fast here, but you were just running really well. So that's really cool to hear from him to say, yep, you're moving really, really well, even till when he let you go at about, what, 110, 120 Ks or whenever he let you go. So mm-hmm. that was kind of interesting to hear that but I suppose take us into that last you know three or four hours because you were back in the placings a little bit from what Brad was saying and then take us through how the rest of that last part of the race unfolded yeah I think uh it was about the 110k mark where uh, we got to I think Mount Helen um and I was really, I had been really struggling and basically at that point it was a decision to make and it was going to be a slight downhill to start. And I just told Brad, I'm going to, I'm going to get into a pattern. I'm just going to start running, just going to start, you know, pushing hard now to get home. And, um, uh, started doing a bit of a pattern of, um, hundred meters off like hiking and then 500 on a hundred off 300 on to make up my K splits. And I wanted to challenge myself to get under six minute Ks every single time. Um, and, and it was just so rewarding for the next, I think it was around about, you know, 25 Ks or so to just keep pushing through this kind of a rhythm of, of, uh, hiking for a hundred, running for 500, hiking for a hundred. And then knowing I only had to do 300 before my next rest, it felt really quite rewarding. So, and yeah, I was ticking over lots of Ks that were under six, the old one over six, but most of them were under and, um, and Brad was, you know, telling me I was the fastest hiker in Australia and and uh, I didn't complain a bit. He actually said that he's like, I didn't realise he did 75Ks with me. I couldn't believe it. Um, but he started yeah. to say, oh, I'm actually starting to struggle a bit. You might, you know, pull the back off a bit. And I, I just didn't realise. I just thought he was flying along, you know, being comfortable. But um, um, And Troy then, so take us to that, that finish line feel because, um, you know, finishing 100 miles is a pretty special thing and, what was it like crossing the line? And did you still know that you were in a bit of a dogfight for first and second and third at that stage? Or had you kind of resigned yourself to your placing? Or like, was it a race to the end? Yeah. So, um, so there's the Greg, Greg Ponich was running uh, and he, he went past me at around about the 50K mark, looking like he was doing it so comfortably. It was 20Ks to go at uh, Fernvale. Um, and I think it might have been. Um, Brad that said, he goes, oh, second place has just come through about two minutes ago. And I thought, but, oh, that must be Greg. So um, um, I sort of just had about a couple of minute break there. Uh, by that stage, I'd taken on so much Coca-Cola just to get me through the rest of the, um, the run that I uh, was feeling a bit cooked from it, but I still had a quick break. And then I, um, I thought, okay, well, I've got Greg um, coming up. And that really motivated me to to sort of push hard to, Moving to second, but I had no idea where where um, Nick was, Nick Bamford. Um, I just assumed that he was way ahead because um, because through the day I I didn't wasn't even concerned about places and where I was at. I, to be honest, I really just wanted to get the hundred miles done, and um, it was a bit of a motivation to know that Greg was ahead. So I pushed pretty hard for about five six k's and uh, caught up with Greg, and um, and also I think I passed. Yeah, previously I'd passed John and, and Dan and I thought, oh, well, I don't want to be yo-yoing again with them. So I just kept pushing hard through that last 20Ks. Um, and supposedly I'd made up about 15 minutes on Nick in that last 20-odd kilometres. So 
Um, I think he'd been Brilliant. struggling a bit towards the end and I'd basically come good. And uh, I think it was only about oh, three Ks to go. And I um, said to Ben, he, I said, oh, is there any headlights behind me? And he goes, oh, there's one behind you. And I said, well, do you think it's Greg? And he goes, oh, it might be. <laughs> and then I just, <laughs> just said, oh, you bastard, and started running. So, um, yeah. Yeah, that was a bit of fun. I needed that motivation to keep going in those last few Ks, really. Um, yeah, absolutely. Well, mate, it's uh, it's an incredible achievement to get second place in BVRT. And like you said, a, a phenomenal preparation for Western States uh, coming up. We, we really appreciate your time chatting to us and giving you a bit of an insight into it. I know most of us were trying to follow on the day, but, um, uh, yeah, they did their best to sort of update through the day. But it's always hard with these races being so long. But, uh just give us a bit of an idea what's what's to come now in the next month in uh, in your world in your running world. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I've had my UTA entry since May because that was going to be a lead up for Western, so I really don't see it going ahead at this stage. Um, yeah. Uh, and so, if not, I, I think I'd just like to enjoy the year, just just keep running, go out and support some events and support some of our, my mates in their events that they're doing. Um, so I'll probably I'll be out at the Scenic Rim Ultra um, to hopefully support uh, Ben and Brad there, repay some of the favours. Yeah. Um, go and support Coastal High and, yeah, just, just be around on the coast and uh, and then maybe next year early on if things are looking good, possibly try and do a couple of 100Ks or something similar to that before um, preparing for Western in June if that all goes ahead. Absolutely, absolutely. And, of course, unfinished business, you've, you've still got a duck under 30 on the goat loop. So um, <laughs> that needs to be because we know, we know you can do it. So you just, just go ahead and bloody well do it as far as I'm concerned. Get that done, get it out of the way, and then we can talk about something else. But, um, uh, yeah, mate, from uh, from both of us here, you. huge congratulations, buddy. It was a Yeah, well done, Troy. It was an amazing effort. Thanks, guys. Uh, great, great, great to catch up and, and see, you, uh, see you, your faces, which uh, yeah, no one well, else can <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddy. We'll catch you out on the trails. Cheers. Thanks, Thanks guys. All righty. So there, there, there you go. There you hear from Troy. Um, a remarkable race for Troy. He's had, um, he's had some interesting battles, hasn't he, Kyle, in his races recently. So I know he'll be absolutely stoked to have posted that time. Um, so, yeah, great result. And, of course, Troy is preparing and training for Western States next year. So hopefully that will go ahead. Um, but, yeah, so, Kyle, let's, let's jump over. So local races, Scenic Rim Round 2 happened this morning. What do you got for us? So it's fine. It's so good to see so much racing. I feel like we went so long without anything, and now there's just yeah. so much on. So we had round two of the Scenic Rim Trail Running Series. Um, was on out at Wairalong Dam at the Overflow Estate Winery. Um, beautiful spot. Obviously, we've both been out there in previous years to to run and film and do things out there for the race. So they had a, a 5K, a 13K, and what was supposed to be a 20K, which turned into a half marathon which Andrew assures me was just GPS error on his behalf. So everyone got a few bonus minutes off the end of their course in the long course. Um, but in the 5K race, we actually had Caitlin Teal who took out the whole race by nearly seven minutes. So she ran 25-32 and beat everyone, um, which that's really impressive. That's a massive win over 5Ks. Um, then we had Jason Littlewood, who was first male, second overall, ran 32-15, and rounding out the overall podium was Andrea Stacey, who was the second female and third overall. So podium was made up by two females. So that was just a little interesting bit on the 5K, which was just the first race. We had two females in the top three. And so how did, you, to see? did you see the pictures of the podium that Andrew posted? I did up? see the pictures. Did see good the pictures. COVID distancing podium. Like we're so used to seeing them all squished together and he hit us had three cubes with one, two and three separated apart. So yeah, great to see the camera was well back just to get everyone in. But yeah, um, that no, could be was, a new it thing. It was well done. Social it will have to be. Podiums. Yeah. <laughs> It'll have to be. So then on to the 13 kilometer race. So in the females in third, we had Kristen Hendrick who ran 108.04. Second was Sophie Butler in 107.39, so only 25 seconds between second and third. And first was Amy Parker in 105.59. So great running there by the ladies in the short course. The male short course, we had Pete Lavely, who was third in 58.38. Just 19 seconds ahead of him was David Stacey, who ran 58.19. And Samuel Pierce took out the win in 56.08. So great running there by the guys as well. 
Then we move on to the long course, which, again, supposed to be 20 kilometres, turned out to be 21.3, I think, in the end. Um, so in the females, we had Leela Hancocks ran 155.48. Second was Hayley Teal, who obviously gets a lot of mentions on this podcast. She's always out running around. She ran 149.29. She was sixth overall. We had Jane Hoskin taking out the win in 147.37. She was fifth overall. So fairly close racing again between the top two over 21Ks, less than two minutes in it. Um, And then in the male race, third place, we had Paul Shard. He ran 138.12. Second was Kerry Stewart in 133.09. And taking out the win was our friend Jack Gill, who ran 129.31. So absolutely flying to take out. That's a sub three hour marathon pace trail half marathon out in the sand oh, yeah. of scenic rim series. So that's yeah. really, really good running by by everyone, obviously, this morning. But Jack had a really good run. Um and then just so everyone knows as well, the third round in the Scenic Rim Trail Running series is on the thirteenth of September, and that's out at Swan Gully, and they've got a five K, a ten K, and a sixteen K. So that's the third and final round for this year's obviously shortened scenic rim trail running series mm-hmm. obviously we've got the scenic rim ultra which we'll chat about that's coming up in a couple of weeks time and this will be after that to round out the series but how good is it to have racing back yeah it's awesome amazing and and let's let's talk about the scenic rim ultra now so andrew had it last year he obviously moved it because it was you know ex- excessively hot and he's also put in as well uh, a 25 kilometer race as well hasn't he so he's got the one is it 110 109 110 105 105 it's supposed to be and then 65 kilometres, and now he's put in a 25-kilometre race as well, which is great. But last weekend, Kyle, you and I and Henry Coombs, we went out to do the Loop of Doom. Now, the Loop of Doom is a 25-kilometre loop, uh, which starts around sort of Boona kind of place. Um, and I think it's in the the 105-kilometre ultra. What did you make of the Loop of Doom, Kyle? You ended up taking the crown by one second in a sprint finish surge to the line over Henry. Um, well, yeah. funnily enough, this all happened because Strava Garmin was down at the time of this run, which was the other big news of the last fortnight. Obviously, massive news. We had floods, fires this year. We've had coronavirus and then the big Garmin outage. So the world's been crumbling the last few months. Um, so we decided to record on our phones on the apps. Um, and when we all uploaded, I had one second faster than you and Henry. But then Henry uploaded his GPS one when it came back and he equaled my time. So now you're alone in third. So sorry to break that news to you. So we're equal first now. I got That's the message right. from Henry. Right. So, But no, it was it was really cool. I've always said on the Gold Coast, the one thing we're missing is long rolling dirt roads. We just don't have it. I feel like everywhere else, everyone's always posting photos of nice long runs just on rolling open dirt roads and kind of medium hillish trails so i feel like here we've either got dead flat trails or road or it's really hilly and rocky so it was nice to go somewhere where you could run get some vertical gain run on some softer surfaces but it's not hands on knees hiking or running over rocks the whole time so that was kind of something that i wish we had closer obviously it's about an hour and a half drive out there just to get out there but to actually make the effort to go out there was really cool. So we had a, you know, obviously it was unfortunately a bit misty and foggy. We couldn't take in all the views and it felt like we probably climbed for the first hour, which doing it fresh was, was okay. It was hard doing it fresh. So I don't know how you would do that 70 kilometers into a 105 K ultra. I feel very sorry for everyone that has to work their way up that climb. Um, but it was beautiful. It was yeah. what it ended up being about 26 kilometers for the loop. We climbed for probably the first eight or nine k's rolled along through some farmland up the top and then kind of just a few up few ups and downs again through kind of open paddocks and farmland on this dirt road and then drop back down to the car it was beautiful so i loved it but like you said it was it was runnable though wasn't it because i remember saying to you at one stage it'd be good to be able to run this whole loop and i think there was only one dirt climb you know laid on it you know 18 20k that we actually had to hike up it so all that climbing at the start it was you know six seven eight hundred meters i think for the loop i think it was eight hundred and something for the loop and 900 yeah yeah and we we pretty much ran the whole thing because as you said they were just long steady climbs you just had to get into this grinding sort of climbing routine um but yeah a wonderful loop and beautifully named by andrew if if andrew was the one that named it andrew boney then he's named it perfectly and far out i mean we said brad ed won the ultra last year and it was in october and it was hot can you imagine hitting that at 70k i mean 
<laughs> Absolutely not. I don't know how he got up it. I know we spoke to him during the week. I ran with him on Thursday, and he said he yeah. pretty much hiked most of that. He said it was brutal. He said he took poles because he thought he was going to need them for that climb, and then they'd basically broken twice at the start, so he couldn't use them. So he had to ditch them at the start of the climb and hike the whole thing. So yeah. I think he said that day it got up, it got into the high 30s last year when they ran. It was just an abnormally hot day. So he was climbing up these open roads it would have been probably an hour and a half worth of going uphill in mid 30 degree heat so it was much nicer for us to go up in the drizzly yeah. rain than it was yep. for him but yeah good luck to everyone who has to go up that climb and so yeah so the, the scenic rim ultra it's in about roughly two weeks so it's the 15th um as he said and andrew's put in that third race of 25k so um yeah jump on that if you want to race i mean what what have we got left ultra wise this year we've got Glasshouse, we've got blackall is that it GC50 road one at the end yep. of the year. Yep. Um, Brisbane Trail Ultra. What else have we got? I think that's about oh, it yeah. around here. Okay. So there's a couple more to go. So There's, yeah, a few, so there's we, still a few on. Yeah. So, yeah, there's three or four to go. So, yeah, well done to Andrew and everyone who's put that event on um, with the conditions and the situation being as it is. I guess it's we all sort of watch these first few races, don't we, to see how they unfold and see how, you know, whether the restrictions and the social distancing works. But, you know, BVRT went off without a hitch last night. Queensland Athletics went off without a hitch. Um, now scenic rims had two races, so yeah, awesome. So Kyle, let's pivot now. Um, goat loop mania finished a couple of weeks ago and, uh, people might think it's dead and buried, but you know, people just, they, they change, they come up with new ideas and something has come to our attention in the last week. Ben Deneen is at the middle of it. He's at the crux of it. Him and Emmett Matthews, I think were talking. Yep. Um, and Emmett now lives in Tasmania. Is that right? Correct. Yep. So they were talking, and we've now got something called the Goat Royale. Can you, I know. Can you, People are going to be going, what is the Goat Royale? This is something I've never heard Royale. of. R-O-Y-A-L-E, accent E at the end. Royale is the way you pronounce it. So um, yeah. can you enlighten us, Carl? What is it? What's it all about? So, Obviously, people know the normal Goat Loop, which formerly Goat Loop 1.0, people will call it just for – the yep. point of this story, but the normal goat loop. We've then got goat loop 2.0, which a lot of people are probably starting to realize is the 10 kilometer big brother to the goat loop. So that's the one that most, a lot of people have been doing since we finished doing the first one. A lot of people are shifted to doing goat loop 2.0. It's about 9.9, 10 kilometers. Um, then there's always been talk over the years of going, I wonder if we should make a goat loop 3.0, something that just extends off the back of 2.0 to make it even bigger. And over the last week, there's been a bit of chatter around this, obviously, between Ben and Emmett and the Goat Loop 3.0, the Goat Loop 4.0 and the Goat Loop 5.0 have been made, which are all on the fire trails. So not just someone's gone and done the Goat Loop 3.0. Yesterday morning, Ben Deneen went out and ran what is now known as the Goat Royale which is the Goat Loop 5.0, then the Goat Loop 4.0, 3.0, 2.0, and then the Goat Loop to finish, which is 74 kilometers. It's a touch under 3,000 meters of vertical gain, and you traverse pretty much every fire trail in Narang. You only miss a couple. So if anyone hasn't seen Ben Strava, go back and have a look at his Strava from Saturday because it's quite an impressive run. He's pretty much Mm. covered all of Narang. So it's the gift that keeps on giving this goat loop. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. It's so, so good. And go, the first goat loop and look at this. And so I would imagine with the Royale, you'd have to do it in that order, five, four, three, two, one. And so it, so for those that have done 1.0 and 2.0, when you do 3.0, you follow the 2.0 course, don't you? And then yep. you take left and go anti-clockwise on the big loop. That right? So you go no. So you get to the top of the Trail Geeks climb, which is about halfway through 2.0. Yep. And instead of turning right at the top and going yep. back down towards the top of the goat climb, you go left, like you're doing the clockwise. So you, and then you're yep. running the what's known as the 17 kilometer loop in a clockwise direction, and then you end up popping back up at the top of basically where the goat climb is, and then you finish off as you would with the normal goat loop. That's 3.0. 4.0, instead of turning right onto the 17-kilometre loop, you go another, it's about a kilometre further down the trail. <clears throat> this is on the western side of Narang. And then you take what was always done as the 20-kilometre race in the old Narang series, um, which means you go down Heartbreak Hill on the north side of Narang, follow yep. it right back clockwise to the start, and the goat loop 5.0, you're pretty much doing the full loop of Narang, the big loop. So yep. you're heading right out to the back of Narang and looping the whole forest in 
clockwise direction. So I don't know. I, talk, I spoke to Ben about this because I actually spoke to him on the phone when he was just starting his Goat Loop 2.0. And we were kind of chatting about what do we think would be harder to do it 5, 4, 3, 2, 1 or to go 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. I think we both agreed that 5, 4, 3, 2, 1 is the way to go knowing that and he said that as he was doing them, it was great knowing, okay, I don't have to come back out here. Every time we ticked one off, he didn't have to go that far again on the next one. I think it would be way harder to have to go further every time you go out there. So obviously no one's done it in the ascending order. Ben's done it in the descending order. So, well, yeah. see, when you, when you go ahead and say those things, Kyle, you do, do realize you've just put the idea now in Ben's head. So Ben, Ben will be sitting Absolutely. at home now Sunday afternoon thinking, I've done all there is to do in the goat. Like I've done everything pretty much now. I've done goat royale. I've done it all. Five, four, three, two, one. You then come onto the podcast and say it would be harder to do it the other way. Poor Benny's going to hear this in the middle of the week and go, "Oh well, I've I've got to go and do that." He'll he'll have to go out now. He'll have to go one, two, three, four, five. If that's the hardest. You know, thing I'm just I'm just thinking about this as well. You know how when you're training for like a five k. We do pyramid sessions where you'll do like one minute, two minute, three minute, four, five, and then drop back down and go four, three, two, one. Can you imagine doing one, two, three, four, five, four, three, two, one? So I'm going to hang on. I'm going to do some numbers here. Well, it's 74 Ks for all of it, and then it's the same minus the last 22. So it's about another 50. So it'd be about 120 ish kilometers. Well, you're saying saying 5.0 is 20.85. So it's 74, so that's 148 minus, so 128, 127, 128 kilometers. Piece of cake. The goat pyramid. So it's just, we've we've just created, we've just created three new events there. So the the goat royale, the ascending royale, because what Benny's done, he's really done the descending royale, hasn't he? He has, he has. So we've just created the ascending royale, and now you've just created the goat royale pyramid. Yeah. Oh, that's got a nice ring to it, doesn't it? So, oh. so, so well done, Benny. But you've got a fair bit to go yet, mate. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's oh, going to happen. The, the idea's out there now. I'm waiting for it to happen. I give it a couple of months, and someone's going to have done it. I feel sorry Goodness for him. Me. I feel oh. sorry for him. Um, so yeah, so it's been a big, uh, it's been a big couple of weeks. Some some great racing, some different racing. Some other interesting things. I just want to mention one other thing. Stephen Wright has just finished, hasn't he, his third lap of run down under. Um, he ran with uh, Travis Island the other day. I think they did 50-odd kilometres, 50 and a bit, um, yep. to finish his third lap of run down under. Now, you just said that before we recorded. You said that's 43,649 kilometres, three laps of Australia, um, in about seven years. So let's just quickly do the math. The guy's running close to just over 6,000 kilometres per year for the last seven years. Absolutely Uh, incredible. Amazing achievement, Stephen. So a huge congratulations from us here. And I want to know what he's going to do next. Is he – so – is he, done, he hasn't done Run USA, obviously, so maybe he goes there. I, I mean, well, Steve. no, I reckon. I think he said. I think Trav. I spoke to him. He said. I think he wants to be the first person to try and complete. I don't know if it was, he mentioned something. I can't even remember what he said. Whether it's something like ten laps of Australia or something crazy like that. He wants to keep going on Australia. He wants to see how many laps he can do on Australia. So I think he's going to keep going again. Wow. So I think we're going to have to get clarification on that from Steve <laughs> or Trav. But I think he's going around again. I think yeah. that was the inside word. He's just going to keep going. See how many laps he can do. So um, yeah, so that's 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 everything I think for the last fortnight. But anything, uh, anything from you, Kyle? What's what's coming up in the next two weeks? Um, what's coming up? I don't know. Well, last time I said not much, and then ended up racing a track race for the first time. So mm-hmm. the plan at this stage is not much, but it could be something very interesting. Who knows what I'll do in the next fortnight? The way it's going, um, yeah. I don't know. I don't have anything planned. I think I'm going to like I keep saying every week, keep ticking along. I don't have any races locked in coming up. But obviously, if anything takes my fancy, that's I seem to be just jumping in them last minute. So I'm sure something will pop up in the next couple of weeks that I'll jump into. But I think I'm definitely keen for the Queensland Cross Country Championships, which is in about four, five weeks, early September. Um, but I think up until a, then, I don't know. I think it's a Saturday. Oh, that's all right. I can you get might, off work. It's important. You might be in trouble there. Let me just check. Saturday. It might be an afternoon race. You could do. Cross Country is normally afternoon. You, yeah, you might what time yeah. it is. Anyway, yeah. I'll make it happen. I want to try and get to this cross country race. Are you got anything on in the next few weeks? Uh, no, just um, just I mean, I've as I said, I think UTA this week just announced that they've had a landslide, you know, through near the Golden Staircase. So 
it, the hits just keep coming for that thing. So no, I keep my training's going up. I'm I've added you know twenty odd k in the last few weeks. Just just trying to gradually build up on that ten percent margin. Just lift it a bit more. Um, yep. There's the Travis Islands Run GC. The second race, the ten k is on on the twenty third. Um, I'll do the, the cross country championships on the fifth as well. I think I'm going to take my brother on there, so there'll be a bit of a family rivalry of some sort. Um, and then, yeah, I just keep my eye open for for things that could potentially be happening. Get a couple of good sessions in around Oxenford Lake on a Thursday morning. It's it's getting lighter in the morning now, which is great. It's not quite as dangerous to do your one k repeats around there. Um, and yeah, I guess keep looking for some hills. That's that's me yeah. at the moment. And look, one one last thing I need to mention in this podcast because we didn't talk about it and we need to is that you have hung on to the 10th place spot on the goat loop by the skinnier teeth once again. So Andrew Arkenstall finally went out and ran a goat loop. Now, I don't know if this was his hardest hardest effort or how hard he was going, but he ran 29.48. He was one second off your spot in the top 10. So you've now got someone one second behind you, two seconds behind you, and I think seven seconds behind you. So everyone's coming for that 10th spot, but for another episode, you're hanging on to that 10th spot. Unbelievable. It's, I'm becoming the immovable force here on this. <laughs> and what I, I said to someone the other day, do you reckon Arky went easy? And they went, no, Arky goes hard every time he goes. So <laughs> without actually asking him how hard he went, I'm going to presume he went full pelt and I'm going to say <laughs> I hung on for one more week. Um, so, yep, it's it's becoming a bit – there's kind of a little bit of a legend around this 10th spot as well, isn't it? It's, it's taking on a life of its own. Well, you're there for another week. We're going to have to keep people updated as to whether, how long you hang on to this 10th spot for. There's going to be a big target on your back now. Everyone's going to yep. hear this and go, we've got to go and knock him out of that top 10. Well, so we'll keep everyone updated to see how long you last. I know of a run coach who lives somewhere in Churn Park who's training regularly mm-hmm. with a single aim this year to knock me off uh, knock me off the top 10. So it'll happen. It'll happen. I think you're in trouble. I think you're yeah. in big, big trouble, but we'll keep Bring people it on. updated. Bring it on! I'm I'm hanging on at the moment, and you know, if look at the people who are just behind. If if Arky's there and James Blanton are just behind, then I'll say, just yep, who's next? Come on, who's next? <laughs> um, but yeah, so everyone will uh, will chat you in a couple of weeks. I think maybe every two weeks we'll try and put these out now, just to cover a few races and things like that. So yeah, whatever you got on, uh, train sensibly. I did a podcast yesterday with. Uh, with Britt Calling, um, and that's coming out and running story soon. And she talked about the importance of, you know, sleep and nutrition and hydration at the moment and recovering well. So it still has to be the focus at the moment. Even though these races are popping back up, we can't go crazy. We've got to keep looking after ourselves. And uh, yeah, that's we'll, it. Uh, we'll, we'll chat. Yep. Look after yourselves, and we'll talk to you soon. Yep. Have a great couple of weeks. Mm-hmm.